Hi everyone and welcome to uh, another episode of Bullhorns and Sirens. This is episode 7 with our guest speaker Andrew Ormrod from CPD Me. Apologies for our sort of delay in getting a new episode out to you guys. It's been a while, uh, we've sort of been off season uh, doing our sort of summer holiday stuff and work, I say summer holiday, we've all been working hard really haven't we? Um, a, far from a summer holiday. Far from a holiday, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, we've got some news to share with you. So our co-host James um, has decided to take a step back from hosting uh, due to sort of career aspirations and things that he's focusing on at the moment. Uh, he's still going to be our beloved editor and make sure me and Tommy don't lose our jobs uh, whilst recording these podcast episodes. Um, and we are really excited to show you that we do have a new co-host joining us from episode 9 onwards uh, but we'll announce more of that on our social media in the uh, in the coming weeks um, so yeah so I think that that pretty much launches the episode it does yeah it was Wonderful. a great introduction cool. Sam, sorry I, I went on a bit too far then do you want to introduce our guest today Tommy I sure will so we are very lucky to uh, get the chance to speak to the founder of CPD me uh, not only is he an advanced paramedic uh, but he's also the founder and the maker of the most dynamic yet simple online CPD portfolio, and we call that CPD Me. So please give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Andrew Ormrod. Um, can you introduce yourself, tell us a bit about your career and, and how you started CPD Me? Yeah, of course I can. So, um, so quite rightly, yes, uh, I'm an advanced paramedic, and um, where did I start? And where did CPD Me come from? You made it sound like I biblically gave birth to it, but let me tell you the story. And I did biblically give birth to it in a weird sort of imaginary, in, in fact, actually don't even imagine what that would look like because <laughs> it won't be pretty. But, um, so I was very lucky to be one of the first paramedics in the country to be born and bred from a university. Now, you could call me a paper paramedic, you could call me a pretend paramedic, you could call me an academic paramedic, and everything I've probably been called in between, but I was quite fortunate to be born and bred from a BSc honours. That said, the foundation of my knowledge and skills came from what I can best describe as my best selective mentors who were all IHCD practitioners. And not just IHCD paramedics, but IHCD technicians. And um, we had uh, clinical tutors within our area. And so the foundations of my knowledge came from, from those girls and guys. And I was very fortunate to um, follow straight on behind my BSc to start an MSc um, in advanced practice and that was way before advanced practitioners were even perceived to be valued within an ambulance service and they were just thinking about introducing them to do the critical care side of the work which in my opinion was the complete opposite to what I wanted to do because mine was very low acuity, patients could be safely left at home, safety netting, tixilixing you might want to call it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so I was on a cohort of paramedics who was on the same course who were very dynamically wanting scalpels and ketamine and I was like, I'm all right with a tuning fork and an um, ophthalmic um, examination kit. I don't want to do critical care. I want to be the advanced practitioner who can safely leave somebody at home without that horrible call of, did you go to Mary yesterday, Andrew? Because unfortunately Mary's had to have another ambulance and as a result, you're gonna get well done. <laughs> so I didn't want to be that practitioner. When I was doing my thesis, um, one of the things I had to identify was what I was gonna write 40,000 words for. And I looked at things in practice that I could change and influence. And ultimately, what I was very good at was keeping abreast of my own learning and development because I wanted to understand all of these exotic conditions like Kawasaki syndrome and Shojans and um, all the clinical findings that we've probably seen as paramedics 
but never really understood what they were and it was never that important anyway because because I'm rubbing my paddles together with my gel and I'm about to give you a 200 joule wake up. Is that what they did when you started? Was it? Stop it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Stop it. Wow. I, I, for, 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 for the purpose of this video, I have got some amazing moisturiser which I'll plug at the very end. But yes, they did, they did rub um, paddles together and they did squirt on um, gel and they did deliver um, said shocks. Anyway, moving well, aside. Sorry, yeah, I've just started and I've already started. Yeah, so, yeah. so what, I, what I decided was I was excellent at taking part in learning and development and I would go to conferences and I would, um, I would try and be the, the forefront lead of what it was to take charge of your own professional development. And that wouldn't include just doing things when I'm getting paid to do things, which is historically what we would do. I'm not doing it unless I'm getting paid to do it. I would go to conferences in my own time I would take part, listen to podcasts. I would do lots of things around learning and development. So I thought, what am I not very good at? I'm not very good at recording my own CPD. And if I'm not very good at it, and I'm pretty sharp at the front end of, of the ambulance service, then I reckon that the majority of my colleagues are definitely not going to be doing that. So put a research a proposal together, submitted to the university, and they said, that would be fabulous, Andrew. Uh, let's do it. Because actually, we can relate also to not recording CPD. We all take part in it, but we don't keep a a record of it and of course more importantly I've now become regulated by the Healthcare Professions Council HPC it was at the time HCPC as it's now known and their standard one is that I must as a registered practitioner maintain an accurate and continuous record of my continuing professional development now there will be listeners out there going yeah I do that or do you do that well I can answer for the majority of people within my research group that the majority had what's known as a shoebox of CPD, which means mm. that whether that's a physical shoebox, like for men, it's often Adidas or Nike. <laughs> for ladies, it's often Jimmy Choo or maybe Prada or something else in between. But I've seen lots of shoeboxes of CPD. And certainly while I was undertaking the research, the barriers that people would identify was, I would just keep it somewhere. And if I get picked for audit, then I'll do something with it at that point in time. So there was the birth of CPD Me, which was a little research program that um, almost organically leaked. Now, there won't be many of your listeners who can um, remember this back to that rubbing DFID pads together time. Because <laughs> it was a long time ago. In fact, it was the 3rd of November 2009. And I distinctively remember after I'd created the simple platform to capture and record CPD and break down the barriers that I identified, which were I don't have time, I don't know the format and I'd rather go and do something else like clean the spare bedroom than think about recording my CPD. But the system that I created, purely as a research platform, purely only to get that 40 credits I needed towards that MSc in advanced practice, people started sharing the link on a platform and and people out there who remember this, and I I can see those people there, was called MSN Messenger. Because oh, no. that was the only social media platform at that time. God, yeah, I remember everything. <laughs> yeah. I just well. used to set myself away all the time just so that people wouldn't talk to me. It literally was the only way for you to communicate between two computers almost instantly. And it used to make a terrible little, uh-oh, noise as it received a message. But people shared it organically on there. And so it went viral before viral was even a term. There was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there was no TikTok, it was literally MSN Messenger. So as people started sharing it, the research group that had only 50 people initially organically went to 250, 
and then to 500, and then to 1,000, and then to 2,000, like an amoeba, just continue to multiply in a Petri dish. Um, until I got an email from the server people who said, you've run out of space, you need to give us some more money. And by which point I'd got 87% on that module, which was way above the 40 I was aiming for. For those academics out there, you'll you'll get that 40 mark. But I was if I could have got 40, I would have been happy, but I got 87. Um, and I wasn't really thinking about what was gonna happen with this CPD system beyond that point, because I'd got that 87 and uh, I was on my way to completion. That's it, you just wanted a degree really, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So that was the birth of CPD me really. Um, I then sought some advice because there was no data protection, there was no security around all that information that was being held. And now the research group that contained only 50 people initially was now significantly more. And they'd started uploading their entire lives with learning and development to a system that wasn't designed to do anything other than be a research program. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That's crazy, what a story. And what I like the most is that it almost just started out like a, oh, you know, yeah, this is something that I want to look at, but I suppose really you didn't actually envisualize CPD being what it is now. You just thought, I'm just going to push through this degree and then I'll just get rid of it or it's something wild, like isn't that. It, it could have been nothing. Like it could have literally been just your research paper and that was it. Like yeah. a lot of research papers go through and they just sit there and nothing becomes of them. But lo and behold. There was no aspiration to turn it into anything yeah. other than a 40% mark. Yeah. And I would have been happy with that to move on. Yeah. Incredible. That's crazy. So you've spoken a bit about your career and CPD Me. We're going to touch upon a bit more about that as well. But can you tell us a bit about uh, what you get up to outside of ambulance stuff and CPD? Yes. So I had an amazing um, outside life. I thought you was going to say amazing wife then. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and would go to lots of social events. Um, Work used to always be pleasure for me, and you'll be familiar with practitioners out there who don't turn off, and we're 999 through and through, and all of that. But probably about five or six years ago, I started just turning off and then going and doing something else. And that was probably as I reached the highlight of my career, because I would be the, the senior clinical lead that would be saying to people, make sure you go home, fill that resilience pot back up. It's really important you go and do something outside of the ambulance service. Go and walk up a big hill, go and take your dogs out, have some time with your friends, take a flask and go and sit underneath the bridge, do anything other than worry and think about work because having your resilience pot full rather yeah. than half empty for me is really, really important. So so I um, took a lesson out of my own lecturing book and said, I'm gonna start doing that with myself. And then um, two years ago, it was Father's Day and my daughter gave me a Father's Day card and I thought, and I never get anything in Father's Day cards, so I don't shake it out and expect money because there's normally Haribo sweets in there or something from, <laughs> from, from my daughter. And, um, and I thought, gosh, this, this envelope feels a little bit thick. Opened it up and um, there was a baby grow in there. And, and I didn't attach a baby grow with anything. I was like, it's a Father's Day card. Why is there a baby grow in this Father's Day card? And then in the middle of this baby grow was a scan. Now, now I can read ultrasound scans to, to a limited ability, for, certainly for an emergency medicine position situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just saw past this ultrasound scan and I didn't see this little fetus in the middle of it. And, and I said, oh, what, what's all these? And she went, have you read the card, Dad? And I was like, no. She's like, you're going to be a granddad. No like, way. What a way to say. That's I was awesome. like, it wasn't. It was, but it wasn't. Oh, right. <laughs> I was like, So, So all of my exciting life that I had outside the ambulance service had now just been like, bump, because all of a sudden, I've now got to think about being a granddad. And then, of course, you think, I'm not old enough to be a granddad. 
I better get some more of that moisturizer and start frantically rubbing it all over and yeah, yeah, yeah. because 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 granddads are like elderly and like start to get a bit I mean I go to granddads and, and do like Rockwood scores on them yeah, all of a sudden yeah. I'm now grand, Andrew Grandad and so um, so it did change from that point um, I was very very lucky to have my grandson on Christmas Day and I was very lucky to be uh, with my daughter and I think she wanted me there only because of my ability to deliver babies because <laughs> because the, the week before I remember distinctly asking me how many babies have you delivered dad and I said to her around about 14 in, in, in my sort of 20 year career and she said alright and were they all alright and I was like yeah I said some of them were, were sort of frightening at the edge of, of emergency medicine but, but they were all alright we managed to deliver 20 successful babies never thought anything about it until Christmas day morning at six o'clock when I got a phone call saying dad do you fancy coming have a look at me because I don't feel very well and I think I'm gonna give birth oh, well yeah. that's all very well on an MDT isn't it on the way to a job and <laughs> yeah. birth imminent third trimester cat one all of them things that come with birth. but you'd already drank sort of free whiskeys and stuff. well <laughs> I'd, I'd literally just woke up and and I was the last to know because everybody else in my family had got that phone call and, and they were like I think you should probably ring your dad now and tell your dad <laughs> that you think you're about to give birth. And, and lo and behold, surprise, surprise, I didn't end up with a roast beef dinner Christmas Day, but I ended up with an amazing grandson. And so, um, so yes, and then from that point, then your life just completely changes because your entire life thinks my grandson is, is the centre of everything I do. So every spare minute I get, whether it's finishing work at five o'clock or broadcasting a podcast at eight, from five till six till seven, I go and see grandson. And that's virtually every night of the week. And then last night, I finished doing some um, work up at Lancaster University for some medics. And then straight to pick grandchild up. And then a full 24 hours with grandchild. So, um, again, had to frantically moisturise today because I wouldn't look terrible otherwise. Because <laughs> um, I had grandchild overnight. And then you wake up in the morning with grandchild. Grandad, grandad, grandad. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so, but I wouldn't change it for the world. It has just completely changed my life. It's crazy how uh, kids do change your life. Because uh, I've only got one baby. But... Uh, people go, oh, they're going to change your life, you know. And I, and I had a whole different perspective on life until I had a kid. But then, same as my parents, they so my baby was the first time they'd become grandparents. And and since since we've had our baby, they've changed. Uh, you know, the, their perspective of life has changed. Even though they've got three kids of themselves, but now they've got a grandchild, it change it almost changes everything again. I suppose. Yeah. Um, I just find that crazy. Imagine if you opened the card and you said. Oh yeah, it's a boy, or something like that, and then uh, that would just <laughs> spoiled ruined. it. Yeah, that like... spoiled everything. <laughs> That'd been awful. That's amazing. I think, like, uh, really, your um, the, the stuff that you sort of do in your free time. Do you think that that like aids your success? I suppose a really good work-life balance is important. And, yeah. and if there's anybody out there working in the ambulance service, in pre-hospital care, hospital nurses, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, having that work-life balance is so important. I recently took part in, in a webinar where they were talking about resilience and getting that balance right. And certainly throughout my education, nobody ever gave me the capability to do outside resilience building versus frontline emergency medicine. There was no formal modules, there was no formal teaching. I think because I was a little bit older, I've, my resilience pots never got below 50%. But I think it's so important to go and do something out and away from work that actually helps counterbalance that pressure and stress and strain and everything else that comes with responding to everybody else's emergencies. And, and I think for me, 
that was made pertinent at a very particular point in my career where I literally dropped my colleague off from work after a night shift and then within an hour of dropping them off, got a terrible phone call to say that he'd collapsed and died and the paramedics had just terminated his resuscitation. And from that point onwards, I think it completely changed the projection of what I do outside of work because my invincible got burst that morning at 10 a.m. when I had that terrible phone call to say, I'm really sorry, your work colleague has just died as you've dropped them off. Yeah, but, and I suppose something like that just, again, it's just not like having a grandchild, but the change of the perspective of life is similar in the way that you think to yourself, actually, maybe I need to rethink about what well, yeah, I get you just spent 12 hours with this guy and then to get yeah. that sort of news all of a sudden, like you're like, well, he was absolutely fine when I last saw him sort of thing. And, and I think as, as clinicians, we create that invincible bubble, don't we? Because we're dynamically running around with life packs and, and medical bags on his back. And I remember one point jumping out of my car with with a bag on my back and, and a life pack in one hand and auctioning it on. I was like Lara Croft. I thought, I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, what yeah, is yeah, all this kid? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we create that invincible bubble, don't we? Of, of we're picking up the bits of everybody else's emergency at that time. Yeah. But actually what we don't often think about is we are just human. That green uniform we put on, or that yeah. big yellow high vis vest, is not—it's not a superhero outfit. Below that is just Andrew, the granddad, who yeah. actually is just as vulnerable as everybody else is. And we often don't take care of ourselves. We'll, we'll we'll eat terrible foods at four o'clock in the morning. Gosh Almighty! I recently did a a, a shift and I had to work from uh, I think it was two in the afternoon till two in the morning, and I wanted to be in my pajamas at eight o'clock. My body was saying, <laughs> yeah. "Where is your dressing gown, Andrew?" And yeah. and I got to one o'clock, and the only thing that saw me through till two o'clock was was a donut, as, which I saw in the garage, and I thought, "Gosh, this is like going back twenty years to the start of your career when you were just piling weight on purely because." You were doing lots of night shifts because it yeah. was fun, and and you would just pick up any food you possibly could, which was a donut or a kebab. Mm. Or, and in, and in those days, and don't tell this to everybody out there listening, we used to have fluid warmers. So even if you picked up some food and you got a job, you could often put it in the fluid warmer and it would keep it warm for you. Probably <laughs> nice. just probably just yeah. at the temperature to give you a really bad stomach the following day. But it was amazing. And then they took them off us, of course, because. Because some grown up said that's not a good thing to have in ambulance. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's when like the fluid started coming out, like smelling of McDonald's and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The patient started going, oh, I can taste McDonald's for some weird reason. Oh, yeah, I don't know why. These there, fluids there, don't there, have there, there, there there out there. Who can absolutely relate to that fluid warm would be in the gem of being able to keep those cheesy chips warm. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. Well, that, I suppose you've got to utilise what you can to sort of uh, to help you out. I just try and put them in like the footwell and put the heater on or something now. Oh, we have fridges that are also like. Warm, warm boxes? I don't know. But they're like in our trucks, they've got fridges and warm boxes. Oh, lucky you, yeah, lucky you. Yeah. So going back to CPD, for uh, CPD me, sorry. So for the listeners who uh, haven't heard of it or um, aren't sure exactly what it's about, can you just sort of run through what CPD me is? Yes, so at the heart of what CPD me is, is the capability for you to accurately record your CPD super simple, either using the mobile app or the dashboard. And whether you want to backdate historic learning and development you've done and upload certificates or evidence or PowerPoints or presentations, whether you've done something today, like taken part in a podcast, or whether you've got something planned for the future, all of those things you can accurately document on the app. And it will literally take you around two minutes. And that is a really key point because part of the research findings was it needs to be as reduced amount of time as possible because when you go home, you want to spend time with your family, you want to strip mm. off at the front door, you want to kick your green uniform into the wash basket, run upstairs, have a shower, pour yourself a peppermint tea or a glass of Cabernet Sauvignon, 
the last thing you want to think about doing is logging something that you've learned that day, whether that's structured or unstructured. I love the way how you, uh, I suppose, almost sell CPD Me because it's not like a product that you can go, oh yeah, this is really good because of this. Now we're all evidence-based clinicians and you say, the research says this and this is what it does. And you can't really go wrong with that, can you? Everybody relates to it. And just yeah. for fun, with a university, I did the research again in 2021. And I'm not gonna pretend that I, I love research because it's not my bag. There's an amazing group of people out there who, who um, support research, certainly within pre-hospital and, and the ambulance service and such. But um, just for fun, we revisited the research and ironically, nothing has changed. It is still, time is the biggest barrier to the reason why people won't record their CPD. The format of I don't know what my governing body wants it to look exactly like and mm. do they want me to send a pile of CPD to them? Do they want it digitally uploaded? Do they want it in a specific format? That is just enough for you to go, actually, I'm not going to bother with this. And it's the same psychological pimple as when you've got an essay to write for university, which is you normally have the cleanest bedroom with the cleanest bed sheets and the cleanest skirting boards. <laughs> and the, you even go to polishing bulbs. You'll find everything and anything to do other than sitting down to structure that essay. So like if um, if the HCPC say called me for audit and I log all of my CPD on, on the app, is there like a button I can press on the app that would then just collate everything that I can then just send off to the HCPC? Yes, there is. So on average, again, point 15 of the research suggested that it would take on average between 30 and 38 hours to construct a CPD portfolio. Jesus. That would be a statement, a um, summary of your recent work or practice, along with evidence of your learning and development that you've done continuously throughout your two year period, which is often the period that the HCPC want to see. And then your summary of findings, how you've met the HCPC standards one, two, three, and four. Standard five, of course, as, as I would expect to know, is just to produce that portfolio when requested to do so. But it will take you around 38 hours, which takes me back to the first finding, which is, I don't have time to record my CPD. Yeah. So if you can't find the time to record it in the first instance, then I'm pretty confident you're not gonna find 39, 38 hours to completely build a profile if you are fortunate enough to show off your CPD to the HCPC. That's a crazy amount of time, isn't it? 38 yeah. hours. As opposed to the two minutes it takes you to press the button on CPD Me, mm. which then produces all your CPD into the format that you can then just literally copy across to the HCPC. Yeah. What I will tell you, the golden nugget is, it doesn't magically just make your CPD portfolio up, you have to put your CPD in there to get your CPD out. So it's just the condition and changing in your mindset, which is back to me making it simple. If I can make it simple, reduce that amount of time, mm -hmm. reduce that formatting, because you don't need to think about the format because the system will do that for you. And more importantly, your Adidas or your Jimmy Choo shoebox is organized. So by date, by time, by category, because standard two of the HCPC is it must be a mixture of categories. You can't just do one thing and expect yeah. that to, to meet the CPD requirements. It has to be a mixture. And the AI and evidence behind the CPD system now helps support that because if you start to record one thing, it will say to you, hey guys, you need to do something different because you're no longer meeting the standard two, which is you must maintain a mixture of different activities. Oh, I love it. Like, so I started using it I think it was November last year. I think I signed up to it, so I, I was using. I, I, I was wasn't quite a shoebox, but I just I had a folder, paper folder, where I kept like a stack of 
certificates and things like that. But what I wasn't doing that I realized you needed to do, especially after I signed up, was writing about what you've learned from these experiences and why it counts and is relevant towards CPD, which is what your platforms taught me, which I love. Um, and then it was because I was coming to the end of my NQP portfolio and period, I was like, right, well, now I'm liable to be called up in you know the next two year cycle I need to get my CPD self into gear and so yeah my, our other co-host well editor James who's not here at the moment he um, he, he introduced me to CPD me and he was like oh yeah do this he gave me a cheeky code sorry um, and, uh, and I got a discounted year so I was like oh wicked so I've, I've started using this shit but I love it it's such a good and I love the uh, the additional content that you provide it's not just that I have to go out and find my own CPD it's the fact that you've got stuff there for us to count towards CPD as well so the webinars the webinars, the webinars. I love the webinars <laughs> but like what I love about it is like so if you don't have this sort of simple way of collating all of your CPD when you think about actually doing CPD you're going to go ah oh, I can't be bothered it's just going to be a certificate that sits in, in my well Jimmy Shoe Shoebox, but well, that's what I love. Wear Jimmy Shoe high heels on a Friday night. But um, but like, it, where if you know that, oh yeah, that's something I can put on my CPD me portfolio. I suppose that is also a motivation to do the CPD as well. Other than to learn, obviously you want to. That's why we all do it. But like, I suppose that's an that for me in my head that would be a, a motivation to also want to do it. Is that it's going to be easy to to store and and even on the free mobile app. When you start logging your CPD, if you don't complete that reflective field or the time or the date, it gives you a percentage and it also mm. gives you a colour score. So we've kept this really simple. So red means you need to do more work. Amber means, okay, you've done a bit of work, but just not enough. And then green means well done. You've put the date, the title, submitted some evidence, done the paragraph of reflection, which is what have you done? Why have you done it? how it's going to influence your role as a practitioner and how might that better translate to patient care, which for those listeners out there might be able to map that directly to standard three and four of the HCPC. (laughs) And then more importantly, have you got some evidence to substantiate it with? And that doesn't necessarily need to always be a certificate. I'm going to give your listeners a golden nugget now because you'll have all been to conferences Mm. and you'll have had amazing speakers on the stage, sometimes idols in emergency medicine. I, I've got idols who I often go out and socialise with, they're like Professor Sir Keith Porter and such, and he'll be on stage and he'll be talking and I'll grab my phone out, and what do I do? I take a picture of the slide. And what do I do with that slide afterwards? It just sits within my photo. I've got pictures of grandchildren, pictures of posh cars, <laughs> pictures of slides of conferences, pictures of more grandchildren, and then all of a sudden, what do I do with them? The pictures of them slides is an amazing way to upload to the CPDME app and substantiate your evidence. It doesn't need to be a certificate. It can literally just be those slides that have just appeared on screen that you've then just uploaded. And actually, people like the HCPC and the NMC and the GMC are trying to move away from certificates and look at different elements of what you've used to substantiate it. So um, I I wouldn't advocate that certificates are the end all and be all. And again, back to my initial research, people thought if I don't get a certificate, then it's not real continuing professional development. It's not real yeah. CPD. It hasn't been accredited. Well, it doesn't need to be. Your accreditation is your reflection of how this will influence or change the way that you do your job as a practitioner. It doesn't yeah. need a big stamp or a big posh badge or a, a epaulet or whatever. It, yeah. just, it just needs that reflective paragraph, which you've alluded to, which which now you've, you've done. Certainly after your NQP portfolio, because that will help support you do that. What I like about CPD, uh, CPD is that you can kind of like just do what you like. Uh, if you if you want to learn a bit about trauma, you can just go onto Google or wherever and find somewhere that's doing a conference or a video on, or even YouTube. 
Um, what CPD are you interested in? So, I'm really lucky because we do about 150 live webinars per year from this very room, in fact. So I'm often facilitating from here or from with John or Caroline or one of the team. So I get to cover the most widest variety of learning and development elements that you could ever want. Certainly as a pre-hospital practitioner, everything from breaking bad news at them terrible jobs where we terminate a resource, right through to childbirth and delivery, right through to everything in between critical care and such. What CPD do I do or am I interested in? Probably ones that will safely allow practitioners to either leave somebody at home with safety nets or the confidence and competence to make an informed patient-centric decision. Now that sounds like I've just lifted that from a policy, doesn't it? Which some grown-up has wrote with an ambulance service. Well, I was that grown-up who wrote them policies because my last role full-time was a clinical lead for avoidable safe conveyance. And so for me, having them policies bulletproof, and when I use the word bulletproof, I don't mean that this should get out of jail free card. Yeah. This is to, to protect you as a practitioner, to give you that understanding that there might be pathologies out there that we don't understand. And if you don't understand it, then there will always be a grown up who you can ring, whether that's an advanced paramedic or a consultant paramedic mm -hmm. or a clinical support hub where you can just run that past somebody at three o'clock in the morning. And that might be a bizarre condition or it could be a new clinical finding that you think, actually, I don't want to take this patient to hospital because they don't need to go, but I just don't really understand what's going on here. Escalate, don't procrastinate is ultimately what, what I advocated, which is don't just make it up. Let's do something about it. Let's, let's speak to the patient, in fact, because if the patient's got a rare condition, they probably know more about it than you do. Yeah. So yeah. don't be too protective to say, can you tell me a little bit more about that condition? because it's not one I'm familiar with. So Andrew, um, why would you say CPD is important for clinicians and does doing CPD just make you a good clinician? So first, why is CPD important? It is simply continuing professional development. We do it all the time. We get an email from our NHS trust or our private provider, which says there's a new piece of kit coming. Here it is you're gonna be taken off the road, you're gonna to have to do some mandatory training and then you'll change your practice. It could be as simple as a bulletin on the notice board in your workplace that says, we're gonna withdraw this drug and we're gonna implement this new drug. So when a patient presents with this condition, you no longer use this drug, you use this new drug. Or it could be a conference that you attend in your own time, what might be on critical care, or it could be a conference on end of life care or anything in between in fact. The key for me as a clinician is that CPD or that continual professional development has to be useful to you as a practitioner. Now you can do two things. You can go to every conference in the world because they're fabulous conferences and I get to go and speak at some amazing conferences, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, New Orleans, Orlando, all the fab places you'd wanna have a holiday at, but it has to be meaningful to attend it. So you've either identified a gap within your skills or knowledge that you want to fill with some new learning and development opportunity or you might want to progress onto a new career. So you might be a paramedic and you might want to go into critical care or go into HEMS, at which point you, you might need to start filling your boots with some critical care elements of mm -hmm. ketamine, um, advanced airway management, finger thoracostomy and all of those fab things that you would do as a critical care practitioner that you might not do as a frontline paramedic. But it for me is about identifying where you need to be within your career, ensuring that you're fit for practice within your current role, but if you aspire to do something different or you want to learn some new underpinning knowledge that will influence or support your future practice, then 
anything can be CPD and it doesn't always have to be paid for. There is lots of free opportunities out there and that ultimately is one reason why we allow anybody to attend our webinars. They are free for anybody to attend because it might well be you're building a portfolio because you want to advance your practice or you want to go into a new role and thus why we allow anybody in the world to register. Yeah, that's it. And I suppose, as you say, like you can go to any conference in the world that in itself isn't going to make you the best clinician in the world. It's the way that you, you look at it and learn from that or reflect on it that, that actually changes your practice. That's what makes you a good clinician. Yeah, and, and often you might take part in some learning and development that you don't learn anything new. Mm. I, I often sit here, I'm going to let you into a little secret now. So I often sit here and watch a webinar and within the first two, three minutes I think, Oh yeah, I know all of this. Yeah. And then behind me here, there's a Dyson Hoover. Other, other <laughs> yeah. Hoovers are available. I'll put my headphones in and just like Freddie Mercury, I'll then do this sort of, I want to break free Hoover around the office, quick tidy up, make sure that it's nice and clean for the staff the day after. Because they always complain, I'll leave an empty cup or a, leave a sweet wrapper and things like that. And so, um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't do it for everyone, but I just the ones where it, um, it's, yeah. Go on, name a few. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not but sometimes I'll sit through the entire webinar and think, do you know what? That was actually a really nice refresher on some of the information that I'd forgot. Because yeah. we often forget lots of things that we've learned. Um, Boyle's Law, um, chemical respiration, all of those things that you will have had to learn to jump through the paramedic hoop but you might not remember them every single day of your career. However, sometimes I do sit here and think, gosh, yes, I forgot about that. Well, I forgot that's the reason why that causes that illness or that injury or, 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 or the swollen legs and all of those idiopathic findings that we often go, oh, I have no idea, no idea what's causing that. And like, I know, cause this, um, I think of CPD as almost like a choice, right? It's up to you whether you attend that conference or it's up to you whether you want to reflect on that job or that chat with your crewmate. Um, and you said earlier, like, if you're lucky enough, to get chosen by the HCPC or the other governing bodies to be audited. But those chances, they're pretty slim, right? Ooh. <laughs> You've just red flagged yourself for an audit when you qualify. <laughs> yeah. So for those HCPC <laughs> audit practitioners out there, here's your guy. What percentage? Do you know a percentage? So it's about 2% on average every two years. But I will let you into a little secret and your listeners. We, on average, here at CPDME, have about 1,500 portfolios generated per month for our user base. And we often ask them, why have you generated that portfolio? And please feed back to us to why you have and how it was received. Because feedback from me here is really, really important. Yeah. And certainly for my, my support team, who even when you look at the signs on the wall in there, what's good for the customer is good for the business. We ask them why they've generated a portfolio. And the majority, as you've quite rightly alluded to, say I've been chosen for HCPC audit or I'm going for an interview, or I've got a new job, or um, I'm having supervision, so I'm just pulling a portfolio off. I often tell people not to print them because digital portfolios are the future. But the new addition, which we've not really made public, but I will share with you, is the coroner who is now requesting to see CPD portfolios. Oh, really? Oh, wow. I think it's part of the package of supporting that that practitioner was confident and competent in practice to do whatever he did at that time that unfortunately as a result has led to a particular patient ended up in coroner's court or being mm. deceased and such and i think it's a way to support the family that this was a confident and competent practitioner what i don't think holistically has been seen on the wider scene is actually the majority of these people might not have a prepared cpd portfolio and that causes significant anxiety what i will say to people is 
um, we've got an amazing team here at CPDME, and this is not a plug for me and my team, but if you get called for audit or you have to produce portfolio and you are really struggling because you've not started it, then I've got an amazing team of support staff who will give you all of the key indicators to help build that portfolio from scratch. Because back to the research, I'm very much aware that majority of practitioners will have that shoebox of CPD mm. yeah. and it will not be formatted in a way that can be presented quite easily. What we don't want is people being stressed or anxious out there because I've spoken to stress them. In fact, since 2009, on the 3rd of November at 11 a.m. in the morning, very distinctive time and date, I've probably spoke to the best part of 5,000 people who's been picked for audit, picked for interview, or whatever else in between, who it causes great anxiety to the point where it significantly makes you ill. And, and dealt with a few people, patients, who, um, who have literally come to me in the GP practice. And the reason why they've come is because they've been asked to produce a portfolio and they haven't got one. And I thought, wow. gosh, there's a massive irony here. And I'm, and I'm dying to tell you that there's a simple solution out there, but here's now not the time and date to do that. But um, don't let it break you is my yeah. key message because it's easy for you to, to pull together. Do you think like, you know, the reason why we don't uh, speed, sort of exceed the speed limit when we're driving is because you can get points and a heavy fine. Do you think that, because uh, I know loads of paramedics that don't collate oh, wait, I know loads of paramedics at speed. No, and, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but, like, but it's because of the rules that they that we don't exceed the speed limit, for example. But mm. do you think that the rules should be more stringent for, for any healthcare professional to actually have a CPD portfolio or just do more CPD? So, you can have Andrew's answer or you can have Andrew, the clinical lead, grown-up, director, business owner's answer. Well, give us both. But I'm going to give you both. So I think there's lots of pressure on clinicians, this is Andrew's answer, to already deliver a very high quality and standard. And I think you end up sometimes overlearning and deconstructing CPD with things that you don't need. And often um, mandatory training and such that we get given to us from employers and such is, is sometimes useful because it's a change in practice that's needed. But often for me, it's sometimes not very useful information that you're having to sit in front of a computer on said e-learning platforms, I won't mention any ESR <laughs> platforms. Gosh, that, that was a sneeze in case anybody really wanted. Sneeze, that that yeah, was a really weird there. sneeze. Where I don't find it a constructive learning environment to learn anything that's going to influence or change my practice. That said, I think it's important, this is my grown-up political answer, I think it's important for that practitioner to identify their own individual learning needs and to be defendable and fit for practice because I have worked with clinicians in my career who have um, said the term, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and there's nothing I've not seen or done in 35 years of being a paramedic. I get that, but things do change. I understand the anatomy and physiology of humans might have been the same for as long as we've known evolution to be realistic, yeah. but actually some of the medicines that we've had and some of the equipment that we've had are different. And an example of that would be defibrillation. In 1900, it wouldn't have been perceived. When your heart stopped, that was it. Good night, Vienna. You are dead, dead. Sorry, yeah. Blair, that's a quote from your book. <laughs> but you are dead, dead. There is no coming back from it. Good night, clocked out, you are done. However, in 1999, when most frontline ambulances had defibrillators on them, it was changed. There was a different outcome. People suffering from heart attacks, cardiac arrests, could then be successfully resuscitated and the outcome was changed. So despite the fact that, that 
Yes, can CPD make you a better practitioner? Yes, it can, but it has to be purposeful and useful. Does sat in front of a computer, having e-learning that's sometimes nonsensical thrown at you help you as a practitioner? Maybe not. Does it help the governance around organisations or trusts, making sure that they can go, yes, my practitioner or my member of staff completed that module at that date and time? Sometimes. Yeah, because, and, and another thing I was going to say is because I'm not, I'm not a registrant, I'm a technician, and there's no, um, I don't feel like I have to collate my CPD. You're because, not regulated, you're not yeah, governed. I know that I'm not going to get called by the HCPC because I don't, I don't belong to them. Um, now you've mentioned the coroner, I might start doing it. But, <laughs> yeah, that's no. changed the tune, hasn't it? <laughs> but, um, but do you think that non-registrants should be applied, that the rules should apply to non-registrants when it comes to being their CPD being audited? Shall I say how many ambulance technicians you've CPD me? Go on. Go on, have a guess. This is across the UK because I had a lot this morning. I mean, I don't know how many people are signed up to CPD me, but what a percentage probably would be easier, right? More than I can get into my living room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay, let's go. I don't know how many ambulance technicians around the country. God, there's loads, isn't there? I'm. So these are ambulance technicians, EMT ones, EMT twos, EMT threes, EMT fours, ambulance care assistants. Okay. Okay. Fine. So, I mean, well into the thousands, I'd like to think. Yeah, I, I don't know, this is just a random guess, maybe like 10,000 or something. Close, 14,000. 14,000, oh, nice. wow, yeah. There you go. And that, how does that compare to registrants? To, shall, shall we just say paramedics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's probably about 34,000 paramedics in total. Wow, so that's quite a big percentage of technicians. Yeah, that's it? not bad, is it, to be fair? Yeah. Yeah. I was quite surprised, I thought it'd be a lot smaller than that. But most technicians will turn to paramedics at some point. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah, yeah. they're probably preparing for professional practice, mm. preparing to secure a place at university, or maybe just identifying their own strengths and weaknesses by collating and organising their CPD. Yeah. Mm. A lot of people ask me, like, oh, when I listen to your podcast, can I log that as CPD? And I go, I don't actually know, because it's not a clinical podcast. And I thought, oh, I know. I'm going to ask Andrew that. So, good question. So, so there is lots of clinical podcasts out there there is lots of other organizations who provide valued content that will influence or change the way that you do your job how you interpret cpd is down to you as an individual because what i might interpret as cpd might be something completely different that you would and you'd be like i'm never going to do that in my practice so for me that's never going to change the way that i do my job so cpd is very personal very individual to you and what and what you do and how you interpret that could you interpret this podcast? Well, maybe you've listened to this podcast and thought, gosh, I need to think about recording my CPD. As a result, I will download CPDME, the app. Our app's available completely free of charge on the App Store. In fact, I think we rank number one. If we don't, please tell me, because I'll need to push it back up to the top. <laughs> um, but it could be that actually, just listening to this podcast has, has made you think about capturing and organizing your CPD so that actually, if you are going to prepare a portfolio for the HCPC or you are going to prepare a portfolio for your supervision or you are going to think about jumping off the ship that contains the technicians into the paramedic barge or whatever that looks like for you, it might well be that you're going to change. So you could go, I listened to this podcast on this said date and time and as a result of listening to the guys and Andrew chatting around the reasons why I should record my CPD, my mindset will now change. So you could argue that that's actually continuing professional development because it's changed your mindset. It's changed the way that you're going to do something from this point onwards. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And then so you'd log that as um, 
like a like the way that you looked at this podcast in like what a text box yep. in the app so what have you done why have you done it i listened to this podcast and the reason i listen to it because it's an amazing podcast and there's all sorts of fa- fabulous presenters on there and um as a result i listened to andrew from cpd me talking about some of the positive reasons to record cpd and some of the defendable reasons why i should record cpd and as a result i'm now going to turn my shoebox be that adidas or jimmy Choo into an organized CPD portfolio that I can show off to my peers and colleagues. Oh, cool. And we'll pay you later for saying it's an amazing podcast. <laughs> you already have. I've got, some, I've got some fabulous gifts here, which is a fabulous mug, which I'm going to show off at my next webinar. And your pocket clinician uh, pocket guides, which That's are it. pocket size, which is useful, isn't it? It is, yeah. There's nothing worse than a pocket book that doesn't fit in your pocket, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. so. When you were writing the ECG one, I told you, you started writing it, I think, on A5. And then I sent you the format for the pocketbook, and you were like, "Oh, how am I going to fit that into like A6? Is it A6? Yeah, A6." A6 I was like, yeah. "I was like, oh, you're going to have to, Tommy. It's just going to be double the size you want it to be." Yeah, like, that's it. Yeah, it's a, yeah. oh, it's a nightmare that. But we got it out in the end, didn't we? We so, did. Yeah, it's a good we book, did. So that concludes part one of this episode, where Andrew talks everything about CPD. But don't worry, because part two is literally next. You can listen to it right now if you really want to. But in the meantime, if you want 50% off your first year of subscription with CPD Me, then go to our website. It's www.pocketclinician.co.uk and you'll find a link on our homepage. If you follow the link and type in the discount code BULLHORNSCPD, then you will get 50% off your first year. But we really hope we uh, you enjoyed this part of this episode and listen to part two. He talks about so much more and yeah, enjoy.